Congratulations, man. That's a team win right there. What we doing? Winning. Winning. Extremely proud. Hey, stay humble. Stay humble. That's one. All right, that's one. Take care of yourself tonight. Went off the field. Went on the field. Welcome to the next episode of What's Next with Eric Wood. Our next guest is Sean McDermott. Sean is the current head coach of the Buffalo Bills and former assistant for the Carolina Panthers and Philadelphia Eagles. You're going to love hearing about Sean's journey to head coach in the NFL, starting back to when he was an undefeated high school wrestler. We will talk about the current state of the Buffalo Bills and how this virtual offseason is going. Sean is one of the best leaders I've ever been around and truly a phenomenal human being we can all learn a lot from. Enjoy. Hey, Coach McDermott, welcome to the show. Oh, Eric, thanks for having me on. For sure. I, I'm surprised to see you didn't grow out your hair for the quarantine. Yeah, you know, I cut, I was, uh, my wife was mad at me because I had cut the beard off, um, you know, kind of the five o'clock shadow that I keep and I've, I've since grown it back, but um, I said, you know, my skin needs to be taken care of just like everybody else's too. Absolutely. I, I had a um, long goatee going. My daughter was telling me I looked like King Triton. Leslie wasn't so fond of it, but I did a podcast with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I grew it out as long as I possibly could. It wasn't even close to touching his, but I was fairly excited to get that thing shaved off my face and look like a <laughs> functioning member of society again. But uh, how's everything with you and Jamie and the kids at home? Yeah, we're doing well. I appreciate you asking. We're uh, we're finding our way through this, like uh, many of Americans out there and in our world overall. And um, you know, you you find uh, you find out a, a lot about yourself, um, as you know, going through adverse times as an athlete, and and in this case, no different. Uh, so it's been a learning learning experience. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's let's start off talking about you, about your journey. So talk about where you grew up and sports you played through high school. Yeah, I grew up outside of Philadelphia in a suburb called Lansdale. My parents still live there today. I played, uh, so I, I played every sport imaginable, like a lot of kids growing up, and really ended up focusing on wrestling, football, and track uh, as a high school as a high school athlete um, at LaSalle College High School outside of Philadelphia. That's a very common theme of people in, I'll say, our generation. You're a little bit older than me, but in our generation, everybody played everything. And I get, I get worried about these kids nowadays with the injuries they're suffering from too much of playing one sport. And I just had this conversation with someone recently. I would have probably eliminated football if at age 12 or 13 you said you have to pick one sport. And um, who knows where I'd be if that was the case. You end up going on to William and Mary for college. What made you select William and Mary? Yeah, you know, I had a, a couple of different options or, or uh, yeah, options available to me. One, uh, one's through wrestling and then some through football also. So it was, it really came down to, um, I just was in a better mood when, when football season came around as opposed to wrestling season where I was losing weight uh, from time to time and, and uh, all pretty grumpy, I guess. Um, and so, um, and I wanted to be able to, it's just a sport I grew up loving and as in, in terms of football. And um, so it came down to West Point and William and & Mary. And so I choose, chose William & Mary. Great. Now, I, I know you've had, you had a good high school wrestling career. Do you remember your record? And what weight class did you wrestle at? And what would you play football at to where you had to drop down to that? 
Yeah, so the last two years, so I started my freshman and sophomore year at like 140, 145, hit a growth spurt, jumped up to 171 um, and 189, but mostly 171. I played football around, you know, 80, 85, something like that. And so I'd have to drop just a little bit, but it was it was just more of the discipline and, and the daily grind of wrestling that I think put me in that in that bad mood. Um, I loved the sport. It's it's I'm passionate about it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a grind and, um, but yeah, it was a, it's hard to get to be as big as you can in football and then have to cut a little bit in wrestling. So that made it a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, definitely. And reading up on your college career, I was not shocked to hear you were a strength and conditioning all American because you're still dedicated to working out. And, you know, when you have that love for it back then, it sticks with you. And I see it in day to day. I was surprised that you were an academic all American. Um, (laughs) but uh so winning on and off the field uh so that's that's great stuff at what yeah hang on I forgot to tell you my record um my record in wrestling was 60 61 and 0 or 62 and 0 my junior and senior year yeah I knew it was good that's why I wanted to give you that opportunity (laughs) to put it out there but at what point did you know that you wanted to get into coaching well, my dad was a coach, uh, high school and college coach when I was growing up, Eric, and and um, I didn't know for sure until I, uh, I think until I was done playing that I that I wanted to give coaching a try, and and that's where I really where I got where I got my start was spring semester, my fifth fifth year, so I'm all all set, all done, had a job already on the books uh, in a financial role uh, in a consulting role. Um, in a big six, what was, what used to be a big six accounting firm. And, uh, and I decided to give coaching a, a try that, um, the spring of my senior year. That's great. And you started off coaching at William and Mary, um, move on to the Philadelphia Eagles, obviously low on the totem pole with the Eagles when you get your shot, but here you are uh, about 20 years later and you're the head coach of the Buffalo bills. And, and that's not a smooth journey. That's not an easy journey, but what advice do you have for people really in any profession, but, in the coaching world to sustain that time and to sustain the time early on when it's really tough for not a lot of pay and not a lot of glory. Yeah, I would say this, I think, you know, as, as the saying goes, do what you love and the money will follow. Um, There wasn't a lot of money early on in in this journey and, and there typically isn't in sports when you're at the entry levels. Um, what, what I had to really bank on was the intangibles that I was bringing to the table in terms of my, uh, in terms of my, my core values, the way I was raised, um, my character traits, what I really prided myself in um, because I didn't have the coaching resume at the time. Uh, but once I got inside, inside the walls, I really banked on those intangibles and core values that then allowed people to see who I was, how I was willing to work, and that helped me climb the ladder. That's great stuff. And who was your top mentor or mentors in the coaching world? Andy Reid, the coach, current coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, Um, you know, Andy, and and then my college coach, uh, Jimmy Laycock, who's now since retired a year ago, as of a year ago, Um, two great, uh, what I would consider great mentors, albeit for different reasons, but two high character men that um, really did a great job on the field with, with their staffs and their program. Really cool moment this year, you and coach Tomlin getting a picture before the Steelers game um, with your college coach. What a cool moment that was. And then 
Andy Reid. Um, what kind of moment was that like watching Andy Reid, who you I feel like the whole nation roots for Andy Reid, but you probably more than most. Yeah, you know, I, I honestly, I, I, uh, I got emotional watching him win it because I know what he's been through, as you mentioned, the journey. I mean, we all have our own story, right? His story is just incredible uh, with what he's gone through with his family's challenges and, and all the, and all the, just the highlights of his career all the way through with his family included. And to see him get to the, get to the top, the pinnacle of what we do in, in this sport of football uh, just, just uh, gave, gave me great, great pride and great joy in watching him and his family experience that. Yeah, you know, I, uh, the only experience I had with him was him coaching me at the Pro Bowl and even just spending a week with him, you just get so much love for him, so much respect for him, how he treats people, just truly appreciated. And, and it was awesome for me to witness that. You mentioned your core values helping you through your journey in coaching, and you're a coach that preaches core values uh, to a team. What core values do you teach to the Buffalo Bills on a year-in and year-out basis? Well, and you hit one of the the lines that I try and use of winning winning off the field sets you up to win on the field. Uh, it's hard if you're not winning off the field uh, to win on the field. And, and so, you know, regardless of what people believe in from a spiritual standpoint, I think that having some faith uh, is important. And for me, uh, I'm a Christian man. So that's a big that's a big foundational piece for me in terms of core values, um, integrity, high character, work ethic, um, basically being willing to earn uh, everything you, you get in this life and, and, and in the sports world in particular. So uh, those are some of the things. And I try and do it, as you know, you've experienced it, uh, Eric. I try and do it more by example than, than maybe, um, you know, o- you know over, over communicating what I believe in and how I believe it should be done. Uh, but I, I hope I lead by by example more than anything. Yeah, you definitely do. Um, I, I tell everybody when they ask me about your leadership style, oftentimes I'll say you're a servant leader, but you lead by example. But then obviously you have to lead every team meeting. You give the speeches, so you lead vocally as well. But oftentimes uh, you're leading by example. And that's never more evident than when you hit an 8 a.m. team meeting and you had been at the facility for four hours because you caught a workout and all of that, which uh, will always blow my mind how co- – I guess it's something you get used to in coaching. And, and you can you can talk on this. Do you just get used to the hours to where you just get used to not getting that much sleep? <laughs> yeah, that's – that's why you do what you do in your, in your post playing days. Right. And, and uh, there's a lot of guys, you know, you, you would have made a great coach. Um, You were, you were that way in the way you played. And, um, but there's a lot of guys that stay away from it simply because the hours um, are a turnoff for lack of a better way of saying it. And, and yeah, but overall, I would say just like you would get into a routine as a player, right. Hey, I'm going to get here at this day and, and, or this time and leave at this time. And this is my routine. Monday through Friday, and that routine changes maybe Saturday and Sunday. We, we as coaches have a routine. And I think once your body gets into that routine, um, and not that it's always the healthiest routine, but once you get in, it's easier to adjust. No doubt. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I would love to be a coach. I think I would be good in coaching. I, I would love to pour into people. I would love to coach 
in college and help people achieve their dreams and get them to the next level. But the coaches I've talked to in college say you don't really get to enjoy that because you then you just hop into the next recruiting cycle. And then I would love to take the best of the best and try and achieve something great like what you guys are trying to do up in Buffalo, take that franchise to the next level and, and pour into so many people. But to me, it's just it's tough coming from the player, the playing world, taking a little time off and then making that commitment. Who knows? One day, maybe I'll, I'll put my nose in the ring and we'll see. Um, I, I've, but I've, I've talked to a lot of guys that come into coaching and, and they say, be prepared to move around, which at this point, we're really comfortable in Louisville and I can head out on the road and do my broadcast gigs and come back home and then be ready to be away from the family a lot, which at this stage of life with a four and a two-year-old, it, it wouldn't be that big of a deal because I'm not missing games and events as much on the weekends, but eventually, I don't know if I'm willing to make that sacrifice, but I appreciate the word saying um, that I could be a good coach because it's, it's something that's always been on my brain. Um, and, we, and we mentioned your mornings. What's, what's an ideal morning to you look like? I talk to a lot of people that are successful in a number of fields, and generally they'll always have some type of morning routine. Yeah, so for me, um, you know, during the season in particular, I'll be up pretty early, um, 3.30, between 3.30 and 4 o'clock, get into the facility. I, I don't like the day to get uh, a leg up on me. I like to have a leg up on the day um, in particular because uh, it, it at least gives me light at the end of the tunnel so that I can get home to see my family uh, or at least kiss them goodnight before they go to bed check in on their days because my kids are getting older now. Um, but yeah, so I'm, a, I'm in early, get a workout uh, or start on the film where no one's knocking on my door because um, there's a lot of, uh, I'm the professional, professional um, problem solver is really head coach slash professional problem solver. So you get a lot of knocks at the door during the normal course of business. So I like to get in there early and, and either start on the film uh, game plan or, or get my workout in. Uh, and sometimes all three on a good day, it's all three. And, and that way I'm ahead of, ahead of the game. Yeah, that's great. So the, spe the 2017 season was obviously extremely special to me. We broke the playoff drought. I had been in Buffalo for nine years of that 17 year drought. It ends up being my last year in the NFL. Of course, it's a special season to me, but that's also your first year as a head coach. How special was that season to you? Oh man, that was a gift from God. It really was just to be, you know, to come to Buffalo and to be in, um, you know, it's never easy your first season, but to be around the group of players and staff that, that I was around, just incredible. Um, and then to be able to make the playoffs, um, going through the challenges that we experienced together, it really made, I think, I'm, I don't think that'll be a group that I, that I forget anytime soon. And, and um, even though we got knocked out in the first round, um, just the way we made the playoffs. And, uh, and I think a lot of people think we got lucky. I don't think we got lucky. I think that that was partly ordained by the good Lord above and also the blood, sweat, and tears. I had a front row seat to watch all the effort that went into that. And I think that was, that was well-earned more than anything. No doubt. I agree 100%. How confident were you honestly? I, I know you can never foresee and you take it one game at a time. But when you took, when you and Brandon took over, you had to make a business decision. Our salary cap was in such bad shape that you had to make business decisions in training camp that you knew probably um, affect your, we'll call them the Vegas odds of the win total at the end of the year. 
how confident were you when you stepped into that meeting with our leadership group on the team after we had just got rid of Sammy and Ronald Darby and we were getting ready to get rid of Marcel? How confident were you that this could be the group to break the playoff drought? Well, you know what? That's a great question. And and I don't even know if I if I have ever thought of that myself. I was back then I was thinking more day by day. Um Certainly with one, you know, everything is, is, has a long-term vision, but it was more of the day-to-day focus that was going to get us to that long-term vision. I mean, those were some really good players that we had to get rid of, um, you know, in that first season, you know, Sammy, Ronald Darby, Marcel, I mean, and the list goes on, right? And so it's hard, it's hard as anything to watch those players walk out the door, um, and, and harder to, to have to then uh, watch you guys who are left in the room. And I remember at one point, uh, I think Kyle Williams said to me, hey, well, you know, this is all well and good, but when, when, are, the, when are the reinforcements showing up, you know? <laughs> so uh, so I, I took that message back to, back to Brandon and, and uh, he started to go to work on some things. So yeah, I mean, it's, listen, it's, uh, that's, that's another reason why I'm so indebted to you guys that first season, that group of guys that were on that team. And because you, no one, at least to my knowledge, really wavered all that much. And you stuck by me, you stuck by our plan. And, and it just goes to show you, I think when you, when you have a group of people committed to a purpose and, and, and willing to hang together through all the challenges that come through a season that try and, pull on a team, I think that it really just shows you uh, what you can do when you hang together uh, with a common goal in mind. Absolutely. And, and throughout that season, we used something that you brought to our attention called the Kaizen model. And I often use it in speaking engagements now. And we talked about some of the challenges of that season. Quickly explain the Kaizen model for those that are unaware of it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a concept basically that I am, uh, it's basically continual improvement right? Self, continual self-improvement that I'm, that I am not a finished product yet, no matter whether it's me at 46 years old or you um, as a professional football player or now uh, past your professional playing days, that we all can continue to improve. And if you take that approach, uh, it, it, it really breeds consistency over the course of time that you will get to your goal faster than, than those that are kind of pulled to and fro by the, by the, by the pools and challenges of life, or in this case, the NFL. Yeah, and I, I absolutely love that concept. And it's, as you're on this journey, you just see the individual valleys generally. You, you, it's, it's, if you're kind of wired like we both likely are, you see more of the valleys, you don't see as much of the peaks. But then if you look back over a year, a season, a couple years, your personal growth is often tremendous if you take time each day to be intentional about growing, whether that's as a father and a husband or as a player, as a coach, whatever it may be. And I absolutely love that model. And, and I thought it did wonders for our team that year because, I mean, I don't want to just keep harping on the 2017 season, even though it was extremely special to me. But we had the worst three-game stretch in Bill's history, but that's the year we break the playoff drought. And that just shows you that small valleys, you know, aren't that big of a deal as long as you're getting better through them. And I'll never forget, I, we came in, it might have been the second of that three-game stretch, it might have been the third, 
and I thought you were going to come in and rip us and here we go again because that's all I had known in Buffalo was hey we got a little hot start or this and that but now here comes the doom and gloom and you came in and you showed some positive clips here's what we're doing better yes do we need to get better at the fundamentals absolutely you know we got to get better at blocking tackling this is all stuff we can control but watch these plays watch guys making film watch these guys making plays watch this film and all of a sudden we're like yes we can break through this because we are getting better even though um on the field we're getting crushed and then well, thanks for reminding me. Thanks for reminding me that was the worst three-game stretch in Bill's history. <laughs> I know. I always, I always got filled in on that stuff. Um, we both would do one, but my radio show the next day on Monday, I would always do my WGR radio show, and that's when I would get the tidbits like that because they would yeah. say this, this is the worst stretch or whatever it may be, and I'd say. Really? I didn't, I didn't realize that. We didn't hear about that in the team meeting today. Yeah, I'm glad no one told me that until now. You know. Well, it just makes it even more special. It'll, it'll work out for your Kaizen model talk for uh, 2020. <laughs> yes, I love it. 2018 was a tough year, a lot of departures. And then 2019, you got Josh Allen in his second year, second year of the offensive system, make great strides as a team clinch the playoffs early to a point where you can rest starters in the last game, which happens to happen in Buffalo and forever and, and just have a gut wrenching loss in the playoffs. How tough was that loss to get over? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's never easy to end the season. Obviously the old saying is that, you know, there's only one team that ends it on a high note um, that being the, the world champion. So, you know, that's, that's what, that's what our goal is. And um, you know, there's, I would tell you this, that the, the minute that game was over, we went to work to try and improve and get ourselves ready to go for this upcoming season. Uh, a lot of runway in front of us, a lot of work to be done. I'm encouraged to this point, uh, the, the work that our players are putting in, uh, in this, in this virtual format and virtual setting. So um, yeah, it was, it was not an easy ending to last season because a lot of work went into that. Um, but I'm encouraged by our progress. Let's talk this virtual offseason. Let's start with the draft. How tough was the draft? Everybody, not everybody being in the same room. Uh, was it difficult? Was it, you know, uh, were you prepared enough, I'm sure, on the front end to not, not see some of the difficulties? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, as you know, that goes on behind, behind the scenes. And usually that's hid, hidden in, uh, in a draft room where your team's together, so to speak, the leadership team. And um, so it made it more difficult this year. Uh, but overall, the preparation, as you know, preparation's everything. And if, if you're prepared, uh, you can go in confident. And I, I felt like we went in confident. Brandon had a good plan. Uh, it was good to have the ability to communicate with him and with, with uh, ownership, Terry and Kim both. And, and I thought, um, you know, I thought it went off as, as well as could be expected. In a perfect world, what type of role does Epineza play this year for the Bills? Yeah, AJ, um, and I think in a perfect world, you know, we still, we have Trent, we've got Jerry, we, we, we brought in Mario Addison at the end position. We've got some young, young ends still as well. Uh, and Daryl Johnson and, and Mike Love. And so um, in a perfect world, he, he'll play a, a, a backup position the first season, potentially to move inside on rush situations. Um, that's asking a lot at this point because learning, as you know, learning two positions just in your first season and adjusting all the while to life in the NFL is a challenge. So we'll just focus on one position for now, but the more he can do, um, the better for us and, and for his future. 
Yeah, I worked in college football as well last year, so I was familiar with some prospects, but it's funny, the further you get removed, the less and less you are familiar with all the college guys. He is a guy I was aware of. Um, fortunately for the Buffalo Bills, probably was a bad 40 time at the combine. He doesn't play slow on film. This is a guy that I'll say if Buffalo Bills fans can be excited about because of what uh, who he is as a person, the production he's had, his size, all phenomenal. Uh, I'm excited about him. The next virtual stage of the offseason comes OTAs and meetings and workouts. How are those going? And do you feel like this team with so many returners, all schemes the same, should be in a better position than most teams just simply based upon those facts? Right. Continuity is, is big. I mean, I, I would hate to be the team that's out there, the teams that are out there that have new head coaches with the staffs not knowing the players or as many of the players as they'd like to. I mean, I go back to 2011 when uh, you were playing, right? 2011, the lockout year. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the last time that, uh, and not to compare this situation to exactly to that, but that's the last time there was any type of challenge in the off season as there's been this, this off season. So, um, so we've used some of that experience myself as a coach back then. Um, and, and some of the coaches on our staff were even players back then in those years. So we've used those experiences to help us in this off season. What's a, what's a normal day look like virtually, um, right now? Yeah. So when I get off this, this call, I'll be on, onto our virtual meetings with our, with our team and we'll have a team meeting usually every day or every couple of days. And then they'll be in, uh, position meetings or unit small, you know, unit meetings with, uh, offense and defense and special teams. And then the rookies, as you know, the rookie development program, uh, that continues to build every season through the NFL, uh, is a big part of what we do. And, and so the rookies will be tied up a little bit longer than, than the vets. Um, I'm sure you wish you could be, be in those meetings again, huh? Those rookies are going to have their eyes wore out by the end of this. And honestly, I don't know what I'd feel about virtual meetings, but when I think about stuff I do truly miss from the NFL, an offensive line meeting is a special place to be. And we always had fun in there. And that is something I, I honestly do miss. Are you guys encountering the same troubles that most are having through these virtual, these mass virtual meetings? Like, hey, so-and-so, mute your dang screen, but – yeah, no, there's, there's always someone who's got a, either, a, uh, they're either uh, got a screaming child in the background or they're shuffling around and, and, and they left their talk button open, you know, and, and so uh, it's kind of like, uh, I guess, etiquette, dinner, you know, uh, family dinner etiquette or table, proper table etiquette, right? It's like proper Zoom etiquette. I had to learn it the first couple of Zooms I was on. Uh, and so I'm sure everyone, it, but it's interesting to, to uh, there's always that one or two guys that just seem like they just landed on planet earth and they, and they're new to this after about 15 zooms, albeit. And so they just continue to do the same stuff. Like nobody else can hear what they're saying or, or the background noise at their house. Yeah. Kyle was always famous for not showing up for off season workouts. I wonder if it was simply showing up on a zoom call, if he would have taken those paychecks uh, <laughs> nowadays, uh, because well, why don't you not... have him on the podcast and you, and you can ask him if, uh, if that would have worked better for his schedule. 
Yeah, I will. That That's a good idea. Um, not to speculate, and I'm not asking you to speculate at all, but if games are played this year without fans in the stadium, so we're not saying that's going to happen. We are just saying if it is a possibility, how tough will that be on the players and coaches? It'll be uh, it'll be a challenge. Um, I mean, let's let's face it. From the time we're you know just six, seven, eight, nine years old when we first start playing football, some of us when we play, it was always nice to have the sideline packed, right? And then you take that to junior high and to high school, high school to college, when you play at Louisville and the crowds that used to be there and now to the NFL. Um, that's a big part of the environment and the atmosphere, uh, in particular in Buffalo for us. Uh, so it'll be a challenge. It'll be different. Um, but I also know this. I, I know that we'll adjust. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the the character of the guys that you guys target should be able to handle a situation like that. But Man, as a player, when I think about going on the road and I think about some of the road venues you guys will play in and not having to face some of that crowd noise, yeah, that's great, especially for a center trying to communicate. Um, I would also hate all of my calls. There's going to be no crowd noise to block out those calls. So now we're looking at making new checks, new everything every single week unless they take those off the camera copies. That's kind of football 401. Um, but even just thinking back, thinking about how strong the home field advantage the Bills have because of the fans and to take that away uh, would stink. The Buffalo Bills have made great strides in the last three years. What do they need to do to get as specific as you can to take that next step and compete for a Super Bowl this year in 2020? Well, I think the obvious is every year it starts with hard work. As I mentioned, we've got a lot of work between now and the time where we kick it off, uh, a large runway in front of us. Uh, that said, you know, I think more specifically to your point is we have to continue to evolve our mindset around when we first started here it was stay away from the here we go moments. Uh, here we go again moments in the fourth quarter where you find ways to lose a game instead of winning it. We won some of those games that first year and then we evolved through 2018 and 2019 of expecting to win and now it's okay we, we should expect to win and and what's beyond that now is is winning the division, uh, winning at home, and, and then trying to make a good push uh, deep into the playoffs in the Super Bowl with with uh, with that being our final our final goal. Just with as many Bills fans that'll be tuned into this one, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask what what do you want to see from Josh Allen? Just continual progress there as well. Yeah, I mean, Josh, as you know, um, Josh is uh, number one. He's a great teammate, and number two. Uh, he, he works extremely hard. You know, you watch his, his growth and development, Eric, from his, his rookie year to last year. And then I'm excited to see what he's done now from, from the end of the, the close of the season 2019 until the time we see him again, whether it's this spring or come training camp. He's a guy that works hard. And so when you know when you have talent plus work ethic, the skill level plus the work ethic to go along with it, really the sky's the limit. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there, myself included, that never had the talent. I had the work ethic, but didn't have the talent. And so when you have both, is what I'm saying, like you did it and to play your position at such a high level, you know, they're, they're, they're really the sky's the limit. Absolutely. And uh, a couple of things I love about Josh the most is how competitive he is and how he has no ego. 
you know, Josh is not out on the field making business decisions, sometimes to a fault with, you know, your potential franchise quarterback. But I'll tell you, I, I had a conversation with Ryan Fitzpatrick before the Dolphins game down in Miami this year. And Josh and Ryan have the same agent. So um, they're with the same agency. So they kind of run in the same circles. And a lot of the things that people appreciate about Fitz were the exact same things that he was talking about Josh only Fitz is like, only I'm not 6'5", 245, run a 4'6", you know, can throw a ball out of a stadium, potentially, Josh says, and all that. So, um, yeah, I, I love your assessment of that. Let's get to some fun ones. I'll quit drilling you on current Buffalo Bills football. Is there is there anyone in the organization or anyone on the field talking trash to you on a day-to-day basis like I was in 2017? <laughs> Yeah, well, now that you left and Kyle left and Zoe has left, it's it's uh it's a little bit more of uh makes it has made it a little bit easier for me to walk into that team meeting room or uh to say to you know to slip up in my in my uh speech to the team and no one to really hold me accountable. Uh so that that part's been good even though I do miss miss you guys. That that part has been a, a welcome addition. I'll have to talk to somebody about stepping up. I'm envisioning like Lee Smith um, maybe Josh grows into that once he gets a little bit more comfortable, but it's gonna be tough because Josh was so young playing for you. It's amazing. Like I generally call you coach or coach McDermott, but at times I'll call you Sean. But like when I played for Chan Gailey and Dick Duran, they were never, I'd never called them by their first names because I was so young at the time. It'll be funny to see if Josh evolves into that, uh, in that role. Okay. So you and your family are quarantined at home. If you could add one person that's still alive to your quarantine, who are you adding? Michael Jordan. <laughs> I love it. I just love the – I mean, I've watched the the uh, last series on that last dance on TV the last uh, couple of weeks here, and I'm just, I'm just intrigued by people who have done things at an elite level, and I just would love to have a conversation with them to, to see what that standard uh, – you know, He's just got an unbelievable way about him, and and um, I, I just love being around people like that. I love picking their brains. Well, you're one of the 32 coaches of the most popular sport in the world. I'm sure if you want to have a conversation with him, we could probably get that done. Uh, but, yeah, some of his one-liners from that were just unbelievable. Some of his talk on leadership, you know, there's stuff with – you know, I, I appreciated just that the different culture at the time, like them smoking cigars in the locker room. Like we did that. LSU tried to after the national championship and they were trying to arrest people. They were doing that after a, a win on a Tuesday night. Um, but but man, what a great documentary. And, and I assumed you tuned into that uh, based upon the amount of Michael Jordan highlight reels you would show us in team meetings, getting us ready on a day to day basis. Um, if you couldn't coach for a living and assuming you wouldn't want to go back to your accounting role, what would you want to do for a living? Yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd, uh, if I couldn't coach football, I'd, I'd coach wrestling, but if I couldn't coach overall, I, I, I think I'd open up a gym. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fitness guy, as you know, and I love staying in shape. There's nothing to me better than getting a good workout in the morning, getting a sweat. And, and so uh, I think I'd do something like that or open a hot yoga studio, something, something along those lines of fitness. As a current uh, small business owner and owner of a gym, uh, be thankful you didn't open one that operated on small margins uh, prior to the coronavirus hitting. What's your favorite book? Yeah, Mental Toughness Training for Sports. It's a book that uh, my folks, my parents gave me when I was young. 
And uh, I think it's so important, not only for sports, but, but in life too. It's, it's uh, definitely my favorite book. Yeah. And, and you're a big reader. I've always heard leaders are readers. They're constantly looking for more information. I'll never forget walking in your office for the first time and looking around and seeing how many similar books we had in common that we owned, assuming you read all the ones that are sitting on your shelf. And I thought, man, no, me and this. <laughs> I haven't read any of them. They're just, they just, uh, they're just there to look good. Yeah, I'll tell John Gordon that uh, he was a previous guest on the podcast. I'll, I'll make sure he knows that those are just window dressing um, up on the shelves. I'm a big fan of his. Big fan. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really special. Have your favorite author come on and be able to speak into people. Who better to speak into people at this time than John Gordon and give people some really tangible advice for the life? You mentioned it earlier. What role does your faith play in your life? Yeah, my family and my faith. Um, yeah, I mean, it's my family. And my faith is everything. Um, you know, the, the the job and the and what comes with the job comes and goes. Um, it's really it's my home base is my family and my faith. And um, you know, it's just that's that's I've been blessed beyond uh, measure. And and for that, I'm I'm extremely grateful. And and I think that what what this job has given me as a platform to um, display, as you mentioned, my core values and not that I'm perfect, I'm far from it, but, uh, but I think that that's been the cool, one of the cool pieces of this job. Yeah. As a Christian myself, I always appreciated your boldness in post-game speeches. When you know that there's a lot of cameras around, you know, those suckers are hitting NFL network, still being bold in your faith, knowing that criticism could come, but you're exactly right. It, it we serve a perfect God. We are not perfect. And it's, uh, at times, you'll shy away from being bold as a Christian, myself included, because you're so afraid of the darts that are going to come your way when you outwardly proclaim you're a Christian. But uh, I always appreciated your boldness. What's your favorite restaurant in Buffalo? And then what's your favorite wing spot? Yeah, we love the Grange restaurant. Um, you know, just a cool spot. I first discovered it one Saturday morning when I was a, when my family was still, still had yet to move to, to uh, Buffalo. And, um, and so we've, we, uh, frequent the Grange and we've still continued to try and do that even, even during the virus and, and whatnot. And I know that they've helped a lot of frontline workers themselves. And, uh, and then, uh, my favorite wing spot is Barbill. Um, so we're, we're big fans. We, we love all the wing spots here though, too. It's, we don't, we try not to discriminate, but I'd say that's probably the one that we hit the most. Yeah, that's, that was probably my favorite as well. And it's funny you say we love them all, and it sounds cliche, but people in Buffalo take their wings so serious that, like, in a normal town, you might have one or two good spots. There's, like, 10 or 15 that just have, like, the best <laughs> wings you had anywhere else in the country. What was your first car? Oh, man. Uh, I think it was a uh, Pontiac. Uh, I don't know what it was, a silver, we called it, I don't know, it was, I don't know, it was like my, it looked like my grandparents' car, so <laughs> it was used, I, I didn't have my first new car until probably the last couple cars I've had, but uh, yeah, it was like a silver Chrysler Pontiac or something, I don't even know, um, I don't know what it was, man, it was, it looked like I was a 65, it looked like I was like an 85-year-old grandfather driving around uh, just locally, I remember taking it to college my sophomore year, guys making fun of me, you know. I'm not a big car guy, uh, as I think I've said before. Uh, so as long as I go out and it runs, I'm good to go. 
Well, now we both drive Roush trucks, so you got a pretty mean car now that you're rolling around town in. Uh, not to put you on the spot for all the Bills fans, and I'll wave to you as you as you drive by, but uh, those suckers are pretty mean. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, man. Go-to karaoke song. Uh, you're killing me here, man. Uh, I like Michael Jackson. I'm a pretty big Michael Jackson fan in terms of the entertainer side of Michael Jackson. Uh, I love to dance, which is one kind of known, not known fact about me. I'm a big dancer. I, our family growing up played the gong show. You, you're probably too young to know what the gong show was, but I don't know what that is. And I got to see these moves now. Yeah. Gong show and Michael Jackson, um, with, with, some, with some dance moves to go along with the lip syncing. Nice. We got to get you doing some dance moves on the sideline like you're famous for like your aggressive clap on the sideline like there's a bunch of memes of it and gifs or gifs or whatever you want to call them um we got to get you dancing um who's the most famous person in your phone mm, i probably would say joe madden baseball manager he used to be with the cubs yeah he's joe madden or um yeah, I would say Joe Madden probably. Yeah, I could see that. I could see a relationship there. I won't ask you to call him like I've like I've threatened other people. A uh, couple more. What was your first job? First job was I worked uh, for when I before you could probably before you were even allowed to work back in the day. I had a job working at the 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 vet up the street, the vet, the uh, veterinarian clinic up the street, cleaning out dog kennels. Um, yeah. Like I was, I think I was like 12 years old. Hey, getting a paycheck. That's all that matters. Last one. What's your favorite movie? Vision quest. It's a wrestling movie. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some, some of my best, some of my best friends uh, for as long as I can remember, we're all wrestlers. So I'm, I'm familiar. People, people that, that didn't wrestle really don't appreciate that as much. Um, but I, I'm also a top gun and the other night we, we showed the kids, we showed our kids for the first time Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So I'm a big Top Gun, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's, that was kind of my, my era growing up. Nice. couple classics. And at this time, we're not out pushing sponsorships for the podcast. This is coming out of my dime. I'm actually losing money per podcast, but it's been incredible to learn. But I'm going to ask the listeners, is there a charity of, that means a lot to you that if the listeners want to support uh, somewhere where they can go? Yeah, I would say um, food allergy awareness, uh, anything related to food allergy awareness. My daughter has a, um, a peanut and tree nut allergy. And so um, just, you know, that was a, a situation I wasn't aware of before we had her. And uh, having her now and having the fact that she has that, uh, it's a pretty serious allergy. And so I think there needs to be just to continue to heighten awareness and and the, uh, the investment around finding a cure for food allergy, food allergies would be great. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. It was great catching up. Uh, we haven't caught up since uh, our last pregame talk, I guess, before the Texans game. And man, I'm just so thankful for the impact that you've had on the Buffalo Bills, their community, my life personally, and so many others. Um, and your words today will impact so many again. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, great to be on with you, Eric. Likewise, man, great to catch up. And thanks for the way that you fed into my life as well. I've learned just as much from you 
as as you've learned from me. So um, and, and all your compadres uh, that that have been alongside you over the years. So it's been it's been special. I appreciate that, Coach. Thank you. Thank you for listening to What's Next with Eric Wood. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please rate it five stars and subscribe. That goes a long way for us with this podcast. Tune in in a couple weeks for another new episode.